Hello, and welcome to The Overtake. I'm your host, John Bozella, President and CEO of the Alliance for Automotive Innovation. This podcast is about the automotive industry and the people, events, and policies that shape it. What if I told you there is an automotive safety technology that allows vehicles to talk to other vehicles on the road? A wireless innovation that makes it possible for vehicles to communicate with pedestrians, bicyclists, streetlights, and other infrastructure instantly in real time. Technology that helps cars see around corners to prevent collisions and save lives. And what if I told you that technology exists today? Well, it does. It's called Vehicle to Everything, or V2X. It's a game-changing technology with the potential to increase roadway safety and deliver automation, environmental, and traffic benefits by enabling cars to exchange information about speed, location, and the travel path to identify and perhaps even avoid crash threats. Cool stuff, right? Joining us today to break it down and tell us everything we need to know about V2X and when we'll see this connected vehicle technology on the roads is Paul Sakamoto, Senior Director of Software Engineering for Harman Savari Streetwave, a CV2X roadside unit. Paul serves as a strategic business unit manager for Harman's V2X sector and manages Harman's V2X business that crosses several product groups and business units. Prior to his time at Harman, he worked in both the semiconductor device and equipment markets. Paul? Welcome to The Overtake. Glad to be here. Thanks, John. So let me start sort of at the beginning. Tell our listeners a little bit more about what this is. What is V2X and what specifically is CV2X? Because that's a term some other people use when they talk about this type of connectivity. So, so what is it? And, you know, how should a driver or a passenger in a vehicle think about it? Well, V2X in general is a radio technology that allows cars in real time to automatically let each other know where they are, and it does it 10 times a second. And what that allows is for the computer in the car to calculate whether or not it's going to be in danger of hitting another vehicle or not, uh, and uh, thereby help prevent, as according to the US DOT, up to 80% of crashes just by itself, just by alerting drivers to potential danger. CV2X in particular is a special radio technology that is related to cellular technology like LTE 5G that allows the cellular technology to talk directly from car to car instead of having to go through the cellular network. What this means is that even when you're out of normal cellular coverage, a car that has CV2X will be able to alert and talk to another car directly that has CV2X without having to be in the normal cellular coverage range. Interesting. So this is communication directly from, say, car to car or car to someone else on the road that might have a device equipped with CV2X. That's correct. It can be car to car that's already pre-equipped at the factory. At some point, there will be aftermarket devices that could be installed in every vehicle. And additionally, there's infrastructure components that will be connected to the traffic management systems, like streetlights, digital messaging signs, etc., that will also allow communication back and forth between that element of the traffic or the roadway environment and the cars. Wow. Okay, so 
let's talk about you. So how did you get here managing Harmon's Vita X business? You know, tell us a little bit more about how you've come to this technology and become an expert. The short version of that is that I started many years ago in the semiconductor industry, went through a variety of jobs at semiconductor companies and also equipment companies in Silicon Valley. And then about nine years ago, started at a startup called Savari, which was working specifically on this V2X technology. They needed someone who was going to be able to help turn them from their concept phase to a more of a production phase, a kind of an operations and sales-based person, which uh, I had a lot of experience in at the time. So I I came in with a round of venture funding and helped uh, bring out the company into an operational phase where we were actually able to start shipping units in both software and hardware. Then that company was purchased by Harman as the industry started to get going. Interesting. So CV2X is not the only, as I understand it, not the only vehicle connectivity technology that exists. What makes this different than other technologies that have been explored to produce similar benefits? I think the the difference is primarily for V2X, because we're using point-to-point radio, it actually allows us to see around corners and other obstructions. So for instance, if you're using radar, LIDAR, cameras, et cetera, uh, other technologies, they have a lot of benefits. You know, we don't say that you have to have one and not the other. It's more that you add this all together. And the additional thing that V2X gives is this cooperative driving between vehicles. So now when you're going to go past that big truck, it could actually tell you if there's a space for you in the traffic flow ahead of that truck, which is something that you can't do with radar because the truck would block that signal. It is also able to tell us that there's a car coming from around an obstruction like a building or other uh, sign or billboard from around the corner that you would not be able to see in time using cameras or LIDAR or other technologies that require line of sight. It's an added dimension. And then the last thing is because it does actually pass data and information and not just the image or the notion that there's an object there. It actually will tell you uh, a lot more information than that. You can actually send messages. It is a lot more data-rich and enables cooperative driving and the intent of the other vehicle as well as its current position. Oh, man. So it literally sees around corners. That's pretty amazing. And let's talk a little bit about, okay, so we have this radio technology, this cellular technology. So it operates in some radio frequency band, right? like other technologies do, correct? So it's running in some bandwidth someplace. How does it coexist with other technologies that might be communicating, you know, in or around the vehicle that happens to have a CV2X communication device? Well, the current band that we operate here in the United States is the 5.9 gigahertz band. And the way that this uh, reduces interference or the interference is mitigated is by making sure that there's not other signals that are close by in that spectrum. So the FCC in the United States has allocated 30 megahertz for CV to X that's in that 5.9 gigahertz region and allocated you know, a neighboring frequency to Wi-Fi, et cetera. And there's some fairly strict regulations about what devices you're allowed to even have broadcasting here in the U.S. There's similar regulation by other national bodies and other countries that regulate which radio frequencies one needs to operate in. And that is really how we get that to all play without interfering very much. And then there's, of course, 
a lot of details about how much separation you need to have, your signal strength, et cetera. But it's essentially all done by fiat. Yeah. So in other words, the government, in this case, in, here in the United States, the Federal Communications Commission will decide what lane you're running in or what channel, literally, you would be operating in, correct? Yes, that's it. And, you know, you mentioned other technologies operating in other nearby lanes or channels. Is it possible or should we have concerns given the critical importance of this technology to vehicle safety that there could be communications in adjacent channels that could interfere with the communication that's happening in this 5.9 band that you're talking about? Well, you know, John, uh, this is actually a hotly debated point. But what I would say is personally that, of course, there's always a possibility of interference from other radio sources. Uh, we try to mitigate that once again by having some fairly strict rules about what allow, is allowed to happen. There's uh, still some debate that we do not have enough radio spectrum allocated to do the job that we need to do with uh, V to X originally having had 75 megahertz of channel width. Now we're down to 30. But I would submit that, you know, we have a lot of people that have been working hard on these issues. We know that we can get an awful lot of this functionality to work under the current system. And I think the time for complaining and, and trying to get get everything be perfect is probably past. We just need to get going. Uh, you know, I think we've lost a lot of ground just simply because the perfect has always been the enemy of the good in, in many engineering projects. And uh, I think it's time to stop being an engineering project and become a tool. Yeah. Get it on the road, in other words. That's right. Yeah. You talked about 75 megahertz of spectrum versus 30 megahertz of spectrum and a question about what's enough. What does it mean for this technology to have more or less bandwidth? More bandwidth allows you to have bigger buffers between uh, the V to X and the next radio signal. So for instance, if you have a bunch of Wi-Fi right next to, transmitting next to your uh, V to X, potentially there's interference. You would want to have as much separation as possible. So having more channel width allows us to have bigger margin between ourselves and the next channel. Uh, probably the bigger thing, though, is it would allow us to have just simply more information flowing in that 75 megahertz than we could in the 30, you know, several times more. And there's a lot of detail behind that, but essentially, you know, more more channel bandwidth is good. And so more channel bandwidth, okay, so more data, does that mean more usability or use cases. So for example, it seems to be safety is an important element of this, right? Um, from a vehicle perspective, right? We have an opportunity, as you pointed out, to save lives. Are there other use cases for this technology? There are. I think when we look at the three use cases, the, the major ones that come out, there's of course safety that we've discussed. There's traffic mitigation, which is a huge thing. And then the third big uh, pillar is level five automation. There's a lot of debate about whether it's really necessary to have V to X to do level five automation, but I think no one would debate the fact that it would be much more straightforward to deploy it at level five if we did have pervasive V to X. Tell us a little bit more about the relationship between automation and this type of connectivity. Is it is it about uh, more awareness for the vehicle? More Is it a redundancy to the sensing systems in a vehicle? Tell us about a little bit more about the relationship between self-driving 
vehicles and V to X. You know, there's an awful lot of detail there that probably I'm not even the best person to to uh, bring out. But I would say, let me give you a simple example of how we might think about this. Today, if you have two human drivers and you pull up, or even more, four human drivers, we pull up to a four-way stop. How do you negotiate the four-way stop? Well, I think we look at each other's faces. Everyone tries to guess intent, and we don't always get it right. But eventually, you figure out how to get everybody through the four-way stop. I think if you've got automated cars, how are they going to do that? Are they really looking at each other's expressions? They don't have an expression. You know, I think we would presume that if it was excellent autonomous technology, the drivers or the passengers wouldn't even be looking at anything. They'd just be looking at their phones or something. So if you think about that situation, how are they going to decide who goes first, who goes second, what eventually happens? What we've seen is that even in uh, the valley here, you know, legendarily, when these autonomous cars come up to a four-way stop like that, the human drivers bully them because they're programmed to never try to put anyone in danger. Now, maybe they're making some grounds there, but I submit if if he had actually V to X, those four cars would just go zipping through the stop sign. They, they wouldn't even have to stop, actually. They would be able to understand a block or two away who should go first, second, et cetera, and there, there would be no issue. Tell us about what's happening with V2X around the world. Obviously, we're not the only part of the world that drives vehicles. So uh, presumably, this technology is being adopted elsewhere. What's going on? I'll talk about the three biggest regions and then some other uh, important regions. I think the three biggest regions are China, U.S., and the EU. And then there's some importance we have to look at in also Japan and Korea because they're good-sized populations, but they're also places where a lot of automotive technology is now centered today, of course. So uh, when we look at the, the three big regions, I think the deployment that we would have guessed some years ago is not what's happening today. Some years ago, I think we would have said the U.S. would deploy first, maybe the EU second, and China third. The Chinese government has mandated some time ago that they would have a majority of their cars installed with V to X by 2025. I think they decided that back in 2019 or 2018. Here we are in 2022, and I am personally aware of uh, millions of units of, of devices that we've helped shipped into cars in China, and, and they're definitely in the lead. Their government has decided the radio frequencies, the protocols and everything, the items that are still not completely decided are going to roll out as the cars roll out from production, which is kind of a just-in-time sort of notion because uh, China has proven itself to be a just-in-time or agile sort of development country. So they're clearly in the lead. I think what will happen after that is, at least from our commercial weather vane, we see that the U.S. will probably follow suit at some point following them, which is a shame since we used to lead. And then eventually after that, I think EU will quickly follow. They have a, a few more things that they have to do. They they were once in the lead and they have to kind of undo uh, part of the radio system that they put in place that is now legacy and uh, and turn over to probably CV to X and more modern technologies. But they'll do it. It's just a matter of, of time. I'd mentioned Japan and Korea, because Japan, of course, had already deployed V to X some years ago. Uh, they had used a, a radio frequency that's in the 700 megahertz band. They had a somewhat different objective, not just safety, but they were also trying to integrate tolling and some other things. That effort will probably need to get redone and rebooted, but I would also say that they have quite a bit of experience with understanding the nuances of deployment, and so I expect them to get going pretty quickly. And then, uh, of course, Korea is 
pretty much figuring out how to mimic all of the VDX standards across the world and ship them in cars. But the main thing that they're doing right now is they're also using some of their previous experience in 5.9 gigahertz tolling to create a, a national traffic network that will also probably roll out somewhere between China's deployment and the U.S. Why is China so interested in deploying VDX technology? Well, John, one of the things we have learned in our initial installments in China is that although they care about traffic safety in China, the government does and the people do, their biggest motivation is actually traffic mitigation. They have traffic jams in China that are legendary. You know, it's one of the things that happened in the last few years, there was a traffic jam that lasted 16 days in the Beijing uh, traffic circle. This is crazy. You know, they have toll gates that are 60, 70, 100 lanes wide in uh, in China, things that we just really can't imagine the scope and scale of here. So in China, you know, there's a, this is not an official thing you would hear from anyone, but unofficially people will tell you we'd like our cars to be able to go fast enough to hurt people, but they can't right now because the traffic's too unregulated, too, too crazy. With V2X, they feel they'll be able to loosen that up and gain not only quite a bit of fuel efficiency, but also just, you know, the whole traffic roadway being able to flow faster. They don't want to have to build enough roads to hold the largest car population in the world. They want to have that car population move more efficiently. And that that actually will save them money in roadway costs, emissions, fuel, energy, the whole thing. It's a big initiative there for that reason. Interesting. What does it mean in this case for the U.S. to have lost leadership? I, obviously, the longer we wait to deploy the technology the longer we wait to save lives. So I certainly understand the impact. You know, every day we fail to deploy is a day that we are, you know, still further away from, you know, saving lives as well as producing some of the other benefits that you've talked about. But is there any other concern that we ought to have or that U.S. policymakers, for example, ought to have about China having leadership, for example, with regard to, the development and deployment of this technology? I think so. I think it's part of a, to me, a bigger picture of uh, sort of the erosion of our lead in technology, right? I think there's at a point, you know, I'm, I'm old enough to have gone through several different turnovers in our perception of overseas technology powers. You know, I'm, uh, I'm of Japanese extraction, but I haven't, you know, my family hasn't been there for a hundred years, right? So I'm an American-American. And I remember going from American cars are the best to Japanese cars are the best. And it happened pretty quickly. And then you think about like Korean electronics products then versus now, et cetera. And now here we are with China. Well, you know, the fact is they're rapidly following the same path. And so what I see is when you lose the lead in technologies like this, you know, do you ever catch up? Right. And and the fact is, I think it's really, really difficult. You know, one of the beautiful things about democracy is you don't end up with horrible things getting pushed upon you very easily. One of the negative things is everyone gets to to argue about everything. And so we're not moving ahead with something like this that requires kind of some standardization. I think what that's going to result in is not just losing more lives, you know, every year than we should, obviously, but also it means that we're going to lose some other things. For instance, you know, we could save about 15% of energy cost with V to X deployment. And that is something when you look at a, a China, that's a huge national advantage, right? This giant. And for the United States, it's still a very big deal to save 15%. You know, we're now doing really 
major macro shifts in places like where I live in California towards electric vehicles and other things that are very, very capital intensive, fee-to-X deployment would be a tiny fraction of that. Uh, and we would actually save huge amounts of carbon emission sooner, but we're not doing it. Interesting. So let's come back to the United States. What work is left to do here to get this technology into cars and on the road and, I dare say, seize back leadership, perhaps? What, what, what do we need to do? You know, it really kind of comes down to government. This is where the government needs to say, the frequency band's the frequency band. The V to X standard is the V to X standard. This is the way all the apps are supposed to behave. This is the way the interchange is supposed to happen. The technical work has been done, but they actually need to change that now into actual policy, rules, laws, etc., and then mandate that this all get on the road by XX date. The manufacturers, both the OEMs, the tier ones, and the tier twos, we our work is pretty much done. We just need someone to tell us this needs to ship. That's where we're at right now. So when you talk about the government, it sounds like there are a couple of, to get a little bit more specific, a couple of more specific actions by different agencies or governmental groups, right? We talked about the Federal Communications Commission, right? So they, they've effectively done their job, or at least partly, right? Are you suggesting also that, you know, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration or the Department of Transportation at the federal level also has some role to play with regard to the deployment of this technology? Yes, they do. They need to go ahead and issue their rules and mandates and say, this is what you need to do in order to you know, I'm, I'm probably not as strong on this as I should be, but in general, they need to sort of tell all the states and then everyone down below that to the you know states, counties, et cetera, and, and everyone who controls roads, if you expect to get money from us, then you need to conform to these rules. And, and that's pretty much the way everything gets triggered. You know, I'm, I'm wrong in detail, but I think in, in a macro sense, that's what happens. Yes, right. I, I that that makes sense to me. So, in other words, what you're talking about is we get policy alignment from local, state, and federal government through that process, and then we get clarity and certainty with regard to industry actors about what to deploy by when. Yes, and you know there'll be details that need to be worked out that will shake out as that rolls downhill. But I think this is one of those rare cases where a huge amount of the work is done. We just really need to say go. I'm going to ask you a question that you might consider unfair, um, but it's a question I get asked a lot. So I'm going to ask it of you. Given everything that we've talked about, and I'm thinking specifically about the United States right now, given all of the things we've talked about, there is progress. The technology exists. In many ways, we're ready to go. Uh, and yet at the same time, some of the challenges and uncertainties you've described with regard to further government clarity what prediction might you make about when we will see, uh, I'll call it critical mass of vehicles and infrastructure on the road with this technology? Is it mid-decade? Is it the end of the decade? Is it someplace in between? What, what do you think? You know, the fact is, that's a question we all have, John, as you know, the thing I would say is that probably the first U.S. cars are going to roll out in a large quantity. Okay, in large quantities, starting with uh, 2024 calendar year. After that, there'll be an uptick, but I think it's going to probably take till 
I don't know, closer to the end of the decade to get enough cars out there that your V to X alert system is going to be going off all the time. Right. And of course, because there's a, a network effect. In other words, my car, if I'm the first car, it's the lone voice crying out into the wilderness. But once there is a number of cars on the road, there is an opportunity for these cars to communicate with one another. Yes, that's right. And, you know, we've actually participated in the past in experiments where we've had as few as a, a couple percent of the cars in the traffic flow actually have V2X. And what we found is it actually did produce positive results. Like, clearly, it was a proof of concept in uh, Tampa Bay, Florida. But with only a thousand cars V2X equipped, we were actually getting multiple saves per day. So that was kind of heartening to know that even at a 1% or 2% level in the traffic flow, you actually start to receive some positive results. At 10%, you receive a significant amount of positive results. And to a certain extent, John, this is uh, this is math that's uh, a little bit beyond my current aged knowledge, but uh, it, it works out when you look at the math that you get about 60% is almost as good as 100 for the net effect. That seems to me to be very significant, right? Because I, I do think there is a perception among some that we've got to get every single car equipped before we can have benefits. And what you're saying is we're producing real benefits well short of, of 100%. That's absolutely right. It's another case of the, you know, the, the great being the enemy of the good. It shouldn't be. Better is better. Paul, thank you so much for being on The Overtake. It was a fascinating conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. Well, thank you, John. I had a great time being here, too. For more information on Harman and V2X, please visit car.harman.com. For everyone else, thanks for joining us. Remember to like and follow the Alliance for Automotive Innovation on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And subscribe to The Overtake wherever podcasts can be found. Until next time, thanks.